Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. And a big thanks to longtime sponsor of this program and this podcast, the Dunlap Champions Club. Obviously, as I speak, we don't know what football season is going to look like. And like most things associated with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, there are plenty of questions and not necessarily answers. So this is what I'd like you to do. Whenever we get some more clarity about football season, know this. The Dunlap Champions Club will have a plan. It's a great venue to take in football if spectators are going to be allowed this fall or whenever football season kicks off. There's shade, there's food, there's access to adult beverages if so inclined, and you can believe that they'll have as solid a plan as anything uh, involved at Doak Campbell Stadium in terms of keeping things sanitized as uh, we try to play this football season. So that said, thanks again for their longtime support of this program. I encourage you, if you have questions or want uh, some answers as to what the plan might look like, call 644-1830, option 1, for more information or to schedule a tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, I never thought I'd say this. Good to see your smiling face. It's it's almost bronzed now after that week you spent at Cape Sandblast. Well, I'm trying to cover it up with the beard. Obviously, our listeners can't see that, but uh, I, I can uh, attest to the fact that my beard is, beard is not turning gray. It is just white, period, the end. But yeah, we had uh, a good time down at the Cape. Uh, excited to get back into town. Uh, wish sports news was trending better but as we've started to make our um, motto it is what it is and you need to stay fluid and flexible at the f and f principle i think so let's jump right into that keith a lot of news in the last two weeks since we did a show together last week was a best of and this news just came within the last day or so keith last 24 to 48 hours and that is that FSU has moved its 21-season opener with Notre Dame from Labor Day night, Monday night, to Sunday night. That's a good thing. I'll explain in a minute. But my direct question to you is, will that be the next FSU football game? So you and I have been doing this show way too long, and we've been working together far longer than that. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Will that be the next time we see Florida State uh, – suiting up with the new white numerals on the Garnet jersey. Uh, I surely hope not. Uh, and obviously, we could talk for hours about what the potential changes or options are. Um, but I hope that that is not the first time we um, see a Mike Norvell coach team take Doak Campbell Stadium. Me too. The reason it's a good thing, by the way, is Monday night, while it's good if you're at home watching it, it's terrible if you're an FSU fan trying to travel from Orlando or Tampa or South Florida or wherever. And then you have to take Tuesday off too of Labor Day weekend. So you move it to Sunday, it becomes a, a much uh, better sell for Seminole boosters, if you will, because people can travel up Saturday, go to the game Sunday and leisurely go home on Monday. So I think that's a win. And the same can be said if you're watching at home and you're trying to entertain. If we're back in a world where people are going to games and you're having people over to watch games and we're playing games, I think that's a win to have that game on Sunday instead of Monday next year. Speaking of Seminole Boosters, Keith, today they announced their new CEO. And this is news because Andy Miller had been in charge since before Bobby arrived. And now we have a successor 
who has been named, and he comes, uh, he's the athletics director currently at the University of Central Michigan. Uh, so I guess general reaction, general thoughts, Michael Alford is his name. He's been the, as I said, the AD, university vice president at Central Michigan the last few years. But I don't know him. I wasn't involved in the search. Looking at his resume, he does have a good breadth of experience, both at the pro level, at different universities, is a former student athlete, seems to hit a, check a lot of boxes in that domain or in that regard. Played baseball, I believe, at Mississippi State, so he's familiar with the Southeast, even though he's been in Michigan for the last several years. Three things jumped out at me. Number one, uh, two of these are meant to be humorous in today's environment, but number one, he doesn't have to change his wardrobe because evidently the Chippewas colors have some form of garnet in uh, the photo that they released. He looked like he had on an FSU tie. He actually had on a Chippewa tie. Number two, he's used to whatever good, bad, or indifferent may come from having uh, an association with a, a Native American uh, nickname. And uh, the third thing is he just got through with uh, completing, we'll call it an operations center. I don't, I've not been on the campus. I don't know what it looks like. But uh, he raised the money for them to build a new building for athletics. And that's certainly one of the things that's on the uh, table right now for him to undertake and continue fundraising for at Florida State. So I, I think it, based on everything I've seen like you, I've not met him, I've not talked with him, was not involved in the search, but on paper, it looks like a very, very strong hire. Yeah, I would agree with that. As you just said, he, he played baseball at Mississippi State. He went to school at UAB in Arkansas as well in terms of uh, master's degrees. Uh, he and his wife are both former student athletes at the D1 level. I think she competed in volleyball at Hawaii. So and he's got NFL experience. Now, you and I are insiders, Keith, at FSU. So if we're in line for positions, we hope that the answer is that they decide to go with the internal candidate, right? But right. the reality is, and I'll, I'll say it here, when you get somebody who comes externally, you bring a different set of experiences with you, which means you could look at the same exact problem, but you bring uh, a different context to it because you see it through a different prism based on your experiences. So I think that part is good when you look at his diverse background. I'm not aware of ties to FSU. I'm sure athletics is a small world, and he knows plenty of people at FSU, but he's not an FSU alum, and I don't know of any direct ties. Well, and obviously, as we've been talking about, and, and we'll touch on it here just briefly, you know, budgets and fundraising, those two things uh, go hand in hand, particularly now that the uh, booster organization has been brought back under the umbrella, if you will, of athletics, and um, certainly last couple of weeks we've seen some budget cuts some elimination of positions some actual releasing of people that you and I know and are close to so that that whole dollar sign thing whether you're spending it or raising it uh, is obviously on everyone's front front of uh, mind as well and uh, you know given Coburn's experience as it relates to budgets and, and I use the term bureaucracy but not in a negative way but just the way those big budgets are put together and the way they're handled and his experience with it and then the new um, CEO of Booster's ability to raise money, hopefully, with that, uh, as we say in Wildwood, that new set of eyes, that new context that you're referring to. Um, I'm, I'm relatively positive about going forward. I think, uh, I think it's positioned well. Who knows what the virus is going to do and what the outcome will be. But for those things that they could control, it appears that Florida State uh, has done a good job of keeping on track. Yeah, I think just have, looking at things through a different lens, even if it's the same issues, I think that'll help. And uh, I trust that uh, they had a, a good candidate pool and that, that he'll do a good job. 
it, it reminds me in terms of looking at things differently, Keith, once when I was doing FSU baseball radio with Chip Baker, who uh, the Colonel, who's is, is th- you know as good a baseball guy as there is, there was a, a fly ball, and I can show you this since we're on Zoom, but you know it was a sun ball basically where the outfielder was having trouble looking at it. Right. Chip just looked at me and he said, you know, that yellow spot in the sky has been there for a billion years. All you got to do is adjust your angle a little bit to get the sun out of your eyes and make the catch. And so, in other words, for those listening, which is our audience, instead of being squared up completely to home plate, just adjust it. Maybe now you're squared up to second base, but you're still looking in the sky and the sun's not there. He made it sound so easy and effortless, but that's the larger point I'm trying to illustrate there. Uh, about looking at things differently. You mentioned the athletic department cuts, and, th- and that news came late last week, Thursday and Friday, Keith. And uh, I do want to echo what you said. That's A, it's not easy for David Coburn and those involved when you have to make tough decisions. Uh, B, it's certainly not easy if you're on the wrong end of that decision making. And you and I have personal ties to a lot of people that were involved. And so we'll be reaching out and, and hoping that they land in good spots. The reality, though, is, Keith, and, and you and I have known this, we've seen group of five programs that have already dropped sports. We've seen the Ivy League has shifted to the spring, the Patriot League. We've, we've seen some other programs that have cut sports. When the news broke that Stanford had dropped 11 programs, I mean, Stanford is the defending champ times 25 of the Director's Cup because it had 36 sports. Now, to be clear, when you read through that, they were already 11 or $12 million off their budget prior to COVID in athletics. So it was something they were thinking about and COVID got them to say, we just got to pull the plug. But when you see Stanford do that, you know that it is a dire situation for everybody in college athletics already. And if we don't play football, dire doesn't do it justice. I I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think I'd be, I'd be lying to you, and you would be lying if we said we understood because we don't even want to think about what it would be without football. The reality is that you've got to go through that process and you've got to think about it because you can't get caught off guard. And there's a lot of momentum, you know, for going to a conference-only schedule. We've seen that amongst a couple of the conferences. The ACC indicated that Uh, A decision would be forthcoming, uh, I'm assuming, at the end of this month. They called off the kickoff meeting, as they used to call it, that was going to be virtual uh, in in coincidence or coinciding with that. And then the the further conversation is what happens if you push football back to the spring and you're now starting to hear conversations from the bowl people about what would you do with the bowls, not the playoffs, but, you know, the other bowls that are part of the postseason. And those conversations are, are difficult. There, there's not enough information to make decisions, but you've got to talk about them. And that's disappointing and disheartening to a lot of people. Now, maybe they don't go to fruition. Maybe we do kick off on time. Maybe we go conference only in the fall. and It's not as bad or as dire. But those conversations have got to be had, repeating myself, because you can't get caught off guard. You've got to at least have talked about them. No, there's talk nationally about college athletic departments that are trying to secure lines of credit or loans in that event because if you can't do that to pay your volleyball coach or whatever other programs you have, you're going to have to terminate the programs now, even if you're back in the revenue-generating business in a couple years. So there's not easy answers. I want to – we'll dive deeper into this with Bob Ferrante, our our Osceola insider. I want to take two minutes, Keith, just a little pet peeve, only because I work in this area – at the university, 
not directly, but indirectly. And it's, and it's regarding the endowment because I keep seeing this out there in regard to Harvard or Stanford has a $25 billion endowment. And I see the comments, well, they should just spend their endowment to save their sports. But that's not how endowments work, and it frustrates me. And the two key points, and we won't go deep, is that the dollars are directed, which means that if Keith and Kathy Jones gave money to FSU for a scholarship for a strong safety on the football team, that's what the dollars have to support. You can't go take that money and then spend it to, to, buy, to build the football facility or whatever. So you can't spend it, uh, it you know, for emergency needs, so to speak. And then the bigger point is that you can't touch the principal. So if you've got $25 billion in there, $20 billion might be the principal, and, and the $5 billion might be what Stanford can spend. And again, that's directed. So it's a little misleading, and I keep seeing that all the time on social media. You can't just take the endowment and plug the hole. Does that make sense? Very much so. And, and, and I would further illustrate it. You used uh, the strong safety position. The bigger issue, particularly at the Stanford's and the Harvard's, is X number of dollars have been given for physics or you know, something that's completely unrelated to athletics. Right. And you certainly can't rob from Peter to pay Paul to do that. Uh, so, yes, I understand. The other part of it is, in some situations, athletics departments are not allowed to even have access to those monies. They're totally separate entities. It's just like uh, when Florida State announced the uh, staff reductions and the salary reductions for the athletics department. It was very plain in the announcement this does not affect the university. This only affects Florida State Athletics because they're a standalone entity that has to balance their own budget. Uh, and by the way, we didn't mention that, but uh, you know, Norvell's taking a million-dollar pay cut. Uh, Coach Sue and Coach Ham are taking significant pay cuts. Uh, even even uh, David, uh, A.D. Coburn, is taking a pay cut, as are the vast majority – not the vast majority, but a certain number of uh, – uh, athletics personnel above certain levels of pay. They've taken 10 or seven and a half or 5% pay reductions and maybe furloughs even coming on top of that. It's not a pleasant environment from the financial standpoint, but what are you going to do? Stick your head in the sand. What are you going to do? The sky's falling. What are you going to do? Well, you get up every morning, you put one foot in front of the other and you soldier on. That's what athletics teaches us. And certainly we're having to put that to, to the test right now. Thanks for uh, going down the Endowment 101 road with me. The the last footnote, and then we'll take our first break here, because we are going to talk football on the field with Phil Steele coming up here momentarily, who's an encyclopedia of knowledge uh, about all things college football. When you hear comments that FSU doesn't have, uh, you know, FSU could benefit from a larger endowment, obviously that's true anywhere, but direct to FSU, the athletic scholarships are only roughly 25% endowed, which means that Seminole Boosters has to raise 10 or $12 million a year to pay the cost of the other 75% of the athletic scholarships. Whereas at Stanford, and I'm making this assumption, they may already have all their athletic scholarships endowed, and thus they're benefiting because they don't have to, 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 to raise that 15 or $20 million, whatever the total will be at Stanford every year. So someday Florida State will get there. It's not there yet. But you can't just take your endowment and, and plug the holes. That's the real moral of the story. So you're trying to tell me that you can't go in and get your wife's money and use that uh, to make a, a run to the store, that you're not, you don't have access to that money. Is that what you're saying? It is restricted to uh, Zappos, 
shoes and, and other jewelry type purchases. It's in the fine print, Keith. We'll take a break and come back with more here on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Always look forward to this conversation because it means we're going to talk X's and O's on-field stuff Phil Steele, the guru, the uh, encyclopedia of college football is joining us. And Phil, kudos to you. I think today is actually the day that you're getting your publication in the mail or certainly this week. It's been a year unlike any of us have ever experienced. And I know that's certainly the case for you, but we appreciate you soldiering on and and quenching the thirst of college football fans with, with all the knowledge you provide. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a different kind of year. All right. But uh, I'm really happy because the magazine is out and we got it back from the printer quicker than ever before. And we're, we're shipping them out today. So that's uh, that's always exciting news. And the same amount of information as you normally get in a magazine. Talked to about 110 of the head coaches this year, getting their teams in order. And as always, we go three to four deep on every position. And it's like getting 130 different media guides rolled into one. That really is a good description. I've seen you use that before, and that's accurate for those of us in the media who know what, what's in a media guide. Uh, before we talk specifically to Florida State, Phil, remind us how people can get the publication. Well, I appreciate that, Tom. Uh, the magazine is available right now at philsteel.com. If you go to philsteel.com, order it today. We should be able to ship it out today. At the latest, we'll ship it out tomorrow morning. Uh, but that's philsteel.com, and we send it out priority mail, so it gets to you in one to three days. Now, it's going to be very limited distribution this year. It's one of the big, big changes. We normally print like 200,000 of these things. This year, we're only printing 50,000, and the only two stores it's going to be in are Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So if you have a Barnes & Noble or Books A Million nearby, it'll be there July 24th. Or if you don't, or you want it in your hands earlier, Order it at philsteel.com today, and we'll ship it out today. Phil, before we get into the X and O's of uh, the Mike Norvell uh, regime at Florida State, you, you as you've mentioned, have talked to these coaches. Give our listeners a little bit of perspective of where they're at, given the pandemic and given the, that spring was either not held or, or held up. Workouts are different. Uh, recruiting is different. What are the coaches' moods that you would perceive? You know, it's. I wondered about that myself prior to starting the coaches' calls. What am I? What am I getting into here? Because a lot of these guys haven't even had spring practice. But you guys know college head coaches, and they've got one thing: it's next man up. Whatever you're going to throw in front of me, you're going to put the ball on the field. We're going to be ready to play. And you know, some of the coaches, especially the teams with the, the, the coaches that have been there for a while and have an experienced team. They're like, you know what? We had our off-season workouts. We got ready with the winter conditioning. And so, yeah, we might have avoided a, a redshirt freshman moving up the depth chart and grabbing a starting spot. But for the most part, we'll be ready to go when the season is ready to go. And they're all, you know, if you're if you're playing a game, 
and you lose your starting running back and your second string running back and your third string running back, guess what? You're still playing the game and you're still out there to finish it. So they're just ready to go and play the football season. The guys I feel sorriest for are those first-year head coaches that didn't have a chance to even get in the spring practice with their team. Uh, maybe a guy like Mel Tucker that took over at Michigan State. He took over late uh, after the freshman class was signed. So he doesn't even know the freshmen that got recruited to the campus, doesn't know the players, hasn't had a practice with the team. Those are the coaches I feel a little bit sorry for this year. Well, Mike Norvell's in that bucket, Phil. Now, he took over before signing day, you know, maybe plus or minus December 10th. But he got three spring practices – so, so he's in that boat. What are your impressions of Mike Norvell overall? Obviously, you would have had previous conversations with him when he was at Memphis, and I, I know you got to talk to him this year. Yeah, and Coach Norvell's okay with the situation. He got three spring practices in. Of course, the, the first two practices are are not in sh- you know they're just basically uh, walkthroughs, and then the third practice you get one in pads. So, uh, but I think he he definitely likes the talent he inherited, and and if you followed Mike Norvell's offense. Uh, dating back to even when he was at Arizona State, it's at its best when he's got explosive playmakers at running back and receiver, and he's got that. When you look at this year's uh, team, uh, there are some plenty of explosive running backs, plenty of explosive receivers like Scary Terry, DJ Matthews, Deshaun Corbin, Kalen LeBourne. So they've got plenty of talent there, and I think that's when his offense runs best. And then defensively, uh, happy birthday, getting Marvin Wilson to turn down the NFL and come back for the uh, his senior season. That gives Florida State one of the top defensive lines in the country. In fact, I rated number four. So there's good talent on defense, and I think what this team needs, they need to start winning some of those close games and gain a little bit of confidence. And, you know, Mike Norvell last year when he was at Memphis delivered for me big time. I had picked them as my number one group of five team, the one that I thought would get to a New Year's Day six. I was the only one to pick Memphis last year, and they got there. So I, I got some big check marks by Mike Norvell, and I think he's stepping into a pretty good situation, despite the fact he only had three spring practices. Who's going to start a quarterback or play the most snaps, Phil? What, what's your take on uh, the QB position for Florida State? Well, you know, you've got your fourth different offensive coordinator come in. You know, you look at James Blackman, and he's a guy that's got a good arm. He's mobile, uh, can be accurate. He's got a big upside. Then you look at Jordan Travis, dynamic as a runner. He's making He made some strides as a passer, but this guy is a, a dangerous runner. So uh, I, I think those two are in there. And then, you, of course, Chuba Purdy. Uh, coming in as the true freshman. Now, he's an all-around quarterback. He can throw. He can run. He's physically developed. But I think him starting this thing later like this, and, and by the way, he's the brother of Brock Purdy. Uh, but uh, coming in later like this, I think that uh, tampers the fact that, or you know, hinders the fact that he could win the starting job. So I went with Blackman as my starting quarterback this year. But uh, bottom line, in a, in a Mike Norvell offense, you do need the quarterback to perform and perform well. And uh, it's going to be whoever steps up in the fall. But uh, I'm going to go go with Blackman. Phil, one of the big questions here has been the offensive line. It's been much maligned yeah. over the last couple of years. Uh, what couple? are your? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what our listeners are saying, Phil. <laughs> hey, we're, we're hometown radio guys, Phil. Cut us some slack. But I'll give you all the right, mic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you see on the offensive line? What does Coach Norvell say? Is there hope? <laughs> Well, you know, it, and and this this has really been the problem area with Florida State. It's been the offensive line, no matter who they 
plug in. There's been years with experienced offensive lines where they've struggled, uh, but he he likes what he's inherited there. You know, it's not uh, it's not going to be one of the nation's top offensive lines, and it's one of the units on the team. There's only two units on the team. I didn't put in my top units in front of the magazine. I'd probably be laughed at a little bit if I put a Florida State offensive line in there if the way they play, played the last five years. But Braylon Johnson at center, Brady Scott at guard, and then at the tackle position, looks really good. I like Devontae Love-Taylor. Uh, he's got a chance to be really good and uh, could eventually be the best offensive lineman. He got in 13 starts last year, and I, I, I like I like his potential this year uh, coming in as a, as a transfer from FIU. And then Darius Washington at the left tackle spot. He might be the most talented and have the biggest upside. So I do think they've got the pieces there. And in the Mike Norvell offense, I think the offensive line, uh, you know, they get rid of the ball pretty quick in this offense. So that's going to help out the offensive line as it is. Bill, you mentioned the defensive line, and obviously Marvin gets a lot of the attention, Corey Durden. But it appears, and one of the things Florida State fans are hopeful for, is that defensive backfield might be better than people give them credit for. Yeah, like Nasrul Dean coming in there at free safety. Uh, you're talking about Lars Woodby at strong safety, Asante Samuel, a cornerback. These are all guys that I think have all-conference potential. And, you know, at uh, at the other cornerback spot, it could be Isaiah Bolden, who's got good size, 6'2", 196. So I, I like the size they've got there. The backups look solid. I mean, they had a guy like uh, Miko Dotson. All Dotson did last year at Florida Atlantic we snagged nine interceptions. And so, you know, him being a grad transfer coming in there, and I don't even know if he's going to start, that's a plus. It shows you how, how the secondary is. So I do like the talent that uh, Florida State has in the secondary, and they're going to be aided by that defensive line because one of the biggest things that helps out a secondary is a pass rush. And if Marvin Wilson and Durden are creating havoc inside, Kando and Robinson on the outside, and getting after that quarterback, that's going to help those uh, defensive backs as well but uh yeah i think this defense could be sneaky good this year bill i know you're not you you do this magazine and you're not nfl uh draft projection so to speak when you put this together but the two big names really and both of them came back for this extra year as you mentioned marvin wilson and then scary terry how do they stack up nationally at their positions uh, well, there's no doubt that if you're looking at uh, defensive tackles like Marvin Wilson, he's the top guy out there. I, I don't see anybody else that would be better than Marvin Wilson at the defensive tackle spot. And then uh, Scary Terry at the receiver spot. Uh, right now, he's coming in about 10 or 11 among the top receivers. But I'm not so sure about that. I watch this guy play. He's got the size you want at 6'4", 210. He's, got the, he's explosive and uh, you know, Coach Norvell said he's probably one of the top receivers he's ever been around. So I think you're going to see him slide up the draft chart. Right now, he'd be about 10 or 11 on the wide receivers. But I think at the end of the year, he'll be up there and probably in the top five, especially if he's as productive as he was last year. Phil, when you were talking with uh, Mike, what was the one thing that you uh, talked about or he offered that is their biggest question mark, that if they get that thing answered, either position or player, it really go a long ways for making this Florida State team that much better. Uh, offensive line for starters, uh, and then the only other position would have been the special teams, which, of course, we got new guys out there. Uh, potentially, it could be a true freshman at punter, potentially, if he beats out Tommy Martin. And then, uh, you know, so it, it, the special team's a little bit of a question, and the offensive line, 
always a question at Florida State. And with Coach Norvell, you know, he, he said he felt confident about the offensive line, but we got to see it on the field and produce. And he's been good from a special team standpoint. Memphis was really good. So hopefully I would think he could capitalize with the talent at Florida State. Phil, as we wrap up, this almost seems unfair because as we talk, we don't know what the schedule's going to look like. We don't know what the playoff might look like. But, but who are the top teams out there that, however it sorts out, uh, you know, will be vying for a national championship this year? What do you got? Well, Tom, I went way out of the box this year. I went with Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma. How about that? Wow. No Boy, are you, living, are you living dangerously in your old age? <laughs> <laughs> but I will throw one team out that uh, that I really want to talk about that I think could enter into this mix, much like LSU did last year. Remember, nobody really expected LSU to be in the Final Four, and yet they got there. And that's Texas A&M. And when I look at Texas A&M this year, uh, you know, talking to Coach Jimbo Fisher last year and going over the team with them, two things struck me. First of all, they had a brutal schedule. And as it turns out, they played three number one ranked teams in the country, the number four team and the number eight team all last year. And they had five losses, naturally. And the second thing that stood out to me was a lack of seniors. And I told Coach Fisher after our conversation last year, I said, I'm going to put you on my national cover next year. Well, here it is next year. They've got 17 returning starters. Practically the entire team is back. They're number 10 on my experience chart. Kellen Mond is a quarterback that can take coaching, and that's important when you've got Jimbo Fisher as your head coach that you have to be able to take coaching. They've got one of the top offensive lines in the country, which I rate number 13. One of the top defensive lines, I rate number 12. Linebackers, number 9. DBs, number 6. Watch out for Texas A&M. They have to do what LSU did last year, which is going to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. But if they accomplish that, I think they could be favored in all their other games. And their schedule is a lot lighter. As opposed to playing all those top ten teams, they may only play one or two top ten teams all year. Well, Florida State fans, not all of them will like hearing you say that. Uh, <laughs> departure from here. But, you know, in year three at FSU, the Knowles went 12-2 and two and, and really were – you know, probably a win away from from having a chance to play for it all that year. They won the Orange Bowl that year. We'll let you get going. I know we're one of a plethora of radio shows that you're doing today and this week, but thanks for what you do to generate excitement for college football. Listeners, he mentioned it, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. I feel like the big city, Phil. We have both those stores here in Tallahassee. So good luck to you, and we'll catch up again next year. All right. Always great talking football with you guys. Enjoy the conversation each and every year. Thank you, Phil. Phil. Thank you, Phil Steele, his 2020 college football preview. You can go to philsteele.com or those two bookstores that I just mentioned. Keith, you and I follow only Florida State and can't recite detail the way he can about one of 130 programs that he dives into each year. We use the term encyclopedia, uh, and, and that's kind of the way he is. And if you've not ever gotten his magazine, you, you, you should get it because it will captivate you. There is so much information in there that uh, you can use if you are, are a Florida State fan or any other fan. And as you talked about, uh, particularly when I was doing uh, color, uh, you know, I would use it for the opponents. You know, I'd get the magazine and use it for Clemson, for, for North Carolina, for, you know, the other ACC schools, and, of course, Florida, Miami, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's just a wealth of very, very good information. Now, it's not leisure reading, Okay. <laughs> It's pretty intense, uh, but it's well worth uh, the price. And, and Phil and his staff do a wonderful, wonderful job. We always get that uh, Paul Kennedy would send it to us in the mail, and I'd open it up, and there's the Phil Steele college football preview. Maybe PK will still do that. 
If he does, we'll still speak, say nice things about him, Keith. We'll take a break and uh, come back and talk to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, right after this. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We're going to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline again, the Earl Bacon Agency Ensuring your future together. Phil Steele joined us uh, on that hotline last segment, and our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante is with us now. Bob, how are you? Doing well, guys. It's going to be hard to follow up on Phil Steele, but um, yeah, that's uh, that's a tough act to follow there. Well, if it makes you feel better, we won't ask you about the too deep at Washington State or anything like that. So you know, it'll it'll be Florida State only questions. <laughs> I'm not even sure I could name the coach at Washington State right now, so thank you for for not doing that. (laughs) Oh, well, unfortunately, we started this show, Bob, and we haven't done a show together in the last couple weeks since uh, we had a best of last week, took a little vacay, but the announcement came about Florida State and Notre Dame moving to Sunday next year, and everybody had the same question go through their mind. Is that going to be the next FSU football game? And Man, every week we've done this for the last three weeks or so, it seems like there's less or less a chance of us playing football. I, I didn't share this with Keith. I, my two cents, I feel like they are going to move forward and say we're going to play. I just don't have ultimate confidence that when September 5th arrives that the numbers are going to be in a place where we actually are playing. Right. I think we're really looking toward a delayed start. Um, October 1, again, feels very realistic to get in whether it's eight games, 10 games, something, uh, I would expect eventually the ACC will, you know, follow the Big 12 and Pac-12 as far as condensing down that schedule and moving toward just the conference opponents. It gives you flexibility. It gives you a lot of uh, consistency in your testing for COVID. And I know a lot of people are concerned about FSU Florida, and, and I'm fully understanding that. I think the best compromise you can come up with is – work together as two schools and it sounds like they are both athletic directors are talking and one option of course is play together in a bowl game so I think there are some options on the table to get some significant amount of football in it's really just a question of when but I think we need to fully expect a delayed start right now one go ahead Keith Bob do you anticipate a 10-game season because of the pushback I know that I think that's what a couple of the conferences have looked at any feel, at least personally, what you think that would look like? Yeah, I heard that was described by a couple of North Carolina outlets. Um, yes, so that would be a 10-game proposal, five home, five away within the ACC. That feels a little bit ambitious, honestly, to me. I, I think Pat Burnham has, has been advocating for building in multiple bye weeks, potentially even you know, a bye week between a bunch of games, as many as possible that you can get in. So 10 feels high. I'm just being realistic here. Eight feels about right with some bye weeks. And, and again, I think most people within the ACC are understanding that schools like Florida State, Clemson, Georgia, Georgia Tech, they want to get those ACC, SEC matchups in there somehow. So you have to figure out how to accommodate those. Those are the games that people want to watch 
whether we're watching them on TV or trying to get in the stands somehow, we have to figure out how to get some of those ACC, SEC matchups in. Well, because you would think the TV networks would want them because really the, the, the network distributions are going to get reduced based on the inventory. And if you're talking about no fans, then it doesn't matter if you play zero games or a thousand games, you're getting no incremental revenue there. I do wonder with the idea of going to conference only, it's been positioned as it's all the same testing and I get it. It, it that makes it easier to tell your non-conference opponents to get out of those contracts from a legal standpoint without being obligated to pay it. So I, I think that's part of the conference only dynamic, but you, so I don't know how you word that to say we could still play other power five schools. In other words, the testing has to be at this level, but Samford, you're in Boise state. You're not at that level. Those are bad examples really because Florida state, there's not a guarantee, uh, the big one with Boise State, and it's a small one with Samford. So that, actually, FSU could be in a lot worse shape in terms of guarantee games this year trying to get out of. But it feels like the legalese is part of the behind-the-scenes conversation on that, don't you think? And nobody ever put a pandemic clause in any game contracts, coaches' contracts, anything nobody thought to. Was it, was it ever important? It was clearly never discussed. So – that's the challenge is we're all reading the fine print and seeing is there any clause that, you know, for example, would apply to a hurricane or, you know, force of nature. Nothing really clearly applies there. I think lawyers are, are going to have to um, sort this out over time. And for example, with Samford, yes, it hurts them. That's about $450,000 that they would receive and they need that for their budget. But I think Florida State could accommodate Samford as best as possible and maybe maybe pay them a small amount and then say, we'll get you on the schedule as fast as we can. I mean, 2021 is already blocked out for Florida State football. Maybe there's a slot open in 2022. You just kind of have to work with those schools because this isn't a one-year thing. You know, Florida State's going to play Samford, you know, a few times. I mean, they've, they've played them a few times in the past and plan to probably down the road too. So you have to look at these people as partners and not, you know, look to, to burn a bridge with somebody. Two things uh, for those of our listeners that might be lawyers, there is a, a, an out for these contracts. It's called the force majeure clause, and somebody's going to test that. And, uh, you know, that that's probably going to be the trigger in my humble uh, non-lawyer opinion. The second thing, though, that you brought up, I've heard talk about, but I have, we haven't talked about it. In terms of FSU Florida, Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech, those would be great matchups for a bowl game if those teams are not in the playoffs. I mean, pick, pick Orlando, Gator Bowl, Tampa. That'd be a great venue for a Florida-Florida State game, you know, in December or whenever that uh, I think will get a little traction maybe as we go forward. Right. The good old days of, of the bowl committees playing matchmaker and trying to line up you know, great games, great uh, kind of heavyweight battles. And these are quite obvious. It's, it's ACC versus SEC. And we can see other conferences try to line up some of their historically great matchups and see how it plays out. You know, it, de it depends on a lot of factors, of course. But I think if we get enough consistency in testing, and if we're looking at a shortened season in the fall with some kind of bowl schedule that might be delayed, maybe it's later in December, early in January, any bowl game in Florida is going to be very attractive. I think a lot of people want to watch those games. In the end, there's, there's too many opportunities, I think, for these ACC-SEC matchups. And you know the bowl committees will want to jump all over them. 
yes, the revenue is going to be a lot less if you're talking about 25% capacity, 50% capacity, but it's the matchup and it's keeping those rivalries, those, you know, rivalries that we, frankly, we all want to see those. Those are the most important ones each year. And the ones that we remember from year to year, it's not always that Florida State Wake Forest. It's how did Florida State do against Florida? And, and then, of course, Miami and other schools. Keith, not sure if you saw this while you were at the beach, but they might finally embrace the Block Jones idea because they're, in this era of everything is on the table, one of the things on the table is taking schools like Sanford, if you can't play them this year, and playing them as part of your spring football game or being able to bring them into spring practice to meet your guarantee and you just practice against them. So I'm telling you, when that article gets written, I want full credit for that idea, Keith. And I'm going to be right behind you only because <laughs> Block comes ahead of Jones on the alphabet. <laughs> oh, that it, – it, see, to me, and I know we're in the middle of this pandemic and we all want football. We don't know where it's going to land. Someday the sun will come up again, and, and not just in sports, but in general, we'll do things – that we've always wanted to do, and we're, we'll do them better than what we did them prior to the pandemic. We're just not there yet. So maybe that, that'll be one of those ideas that sticks. Zoom certainly appears like it's going to stick around, right? Um, hey, Bob, today the big news in FSU Athletics is that there's a new CEO for Seminole Boosters. This search has been going on for the last six months or so. Uh, the news came today, and it's the athletics director from, from Central Michigan, I don't know how much background you've had a chance to do, but Michael Alford will be the new CEO. So general thoughts? You know, I think initially people are going to wonder, well, why an athletic director from Central Michigan? And I think it's more than that. It's because of his fundraising background, his management, his planning. He has extensive experience at the University of Oklahoma, again, on the fundraising side there with football and basketball. Um, also working with the Dallas Cowboys for a long time. So he has some pretty good variety of experiences, both in college and pro football, brings a lot to the table. I think, you know, we, we see that experience blending in really well with the current, um, you know, format of the Seminole Boosters, as well as athletics. And then together, those parties working under the FSUAA. So I think this is a really good hire. And I, I say that just hearing from a few people who were part of the process and not really knowing Alfred very much at all, but highly respected administrator at Central Michigan. And I think his resume kind of speaks for the kind of things that he can do. And now it's, it's just with a higher platform as the Seminole Booster CEO. Well, if we're going to talk booster, so, so two points here, one, I think you, uh, without digging deeper and you just, you just did dive deeper. Uh, you see athletic director and you could jump to the conclusion, well, is he just coming here and sitting in this seat until David Coburn moves on and then he slides over to another seat? But really you're saying there that this is much more about breadth of experience and, and ability to fundraise. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good theory, though, to be to be quite honest. I mean, at some point, President Thrasher is going to retire. It's going to be after the, the pandemic. So that might be, you know, a year plus away before they have a full search and then he transitions to a, a new president. And at some point, David Coburn is, is going to want to move on to another role within Florida State or retire. So, yes, could you could you tab Alford as an athletic director? It's certainly possible. But I think right now the immediate need is on the booster side and, and continuing these campaigns that they have for, you know, $100 million plus million to make sure that football and basketball, softball, baseball, um, scholarship funds for women's athletics are fulfilled. 
and they're in the middle of it and they've done a really incredible job in the face of you know challenging economy as well as the pandemic so i think he's a good guy to have on the payroll is how i would phrase it and how you have him used two or three years down the road i think remains open-ended but for now he seems like a really good fit i think for the boosters Let's go on the court or on the field. Well, I'll, I'll move to basketball. There somewhere, and, and I'm not exactly sure how or why, but in Leonard Hamilton's book, he can keep turning pages, and lo and behold, he's got the phone number of another seven-footer that nobody else on the planet seems to know about, and he's done it yet again in signing a seven-footer from Canada last week. You know, I wish I could tell you I've done a, a deep dive on on who this guy is, but it sounds like he's, he's had three pretty, uh, pretty good years up in Canada and would be a, an immediate transfer, we think, to play at Florida State. And if not, if he has to sit out a year, I think that's um, – they've, they've got seven-footer stockpiled, obviously. But, <laughs> y- you know, the Leonard Hamilton cell phone is a Rolodex. It's, it's pretty incredible who he knows and who he hears about through the grapevine. You know, he and the assistant coach, especially Stan Jones, has been, you know, with Hamilton forever – they keep uncovering these gems and then kind of, you know, they're, they're looking for a certain type. It's that high character gym rat that they can then mold into the system that they run. I think really what they were missing last year was a seven footer who was a true rim protector, a guy who could block some shots and alter some shots. They had the block shots from, you know, all five who were on the court, but they're looking for a big man who can block some shots. And I think Nam brings that to the table. So, you know, hopefully um, he's a guy who we'll see in October if we can get college basketball back on the court. <laughs> yeah. We're talking with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Uh, Bob joins us every week. Encourage you to subscribe to the Osceola. Go to the Osceola.com. You can learn more. Interesting article on there this week as we wrap up, Bob. Jerry Kutz did a deep dive re- regarding name image likeness, which has remained on the back burner. This NIL would have been a front burner story for the last four months, but because of the pandemic, it's on the back page of the sports uh, section, so to speak. Uh, But really what Jerry dove into is how much athletes actually receive right now in terms of, uh, you know, value of their scholarships and also direct cash compensation for uh, cost of attendance. Uh, I'll I'll let you take it from there, but I, I thought it was interesting to see those figures. Yeah, Jerry started working on the story, I think, last fall, and, and really it began with, with the question of what do student-athletes get right now, and also drawing a comparison to what, you know, an athlete got in the 1980s, and, you know, he framed it through talking with Herb Gaynor, who was a receiver here in the mid-80s, and then talking about what Amari receives, and the money is, is quite significant, and, and it's gotten a lot better. Um, you know, obviously Pell Grants have always been there, but you know, cost of attendance is now a stipend that is there for a lot of student athletes. And so, you know, I think the investment, if I remember Jerry's numbers right, it was somewhere around $200,000 over a four-year, you know, span of your career. So if you're at Florida State for four years, that's what you're receiving in terms of tuition, books, housing, food, as well as that cost of attendance. So, the money is really being well supported toward a student athlete far, far better than the days of, again, of, of Shabazz Napier saying that the, the NCAA won't allow him to have a meal, you know, late in the night. I think it's a, it's a big step in showing how universities are taking care of athletes. 
I also think it, it, what do we do about name and image and likeness? I mean, this is the complex question that we have to deal with after we figure out football, basketball, scheduling, all the other sports for Olympic sports. How do we help prepare student athletes through brand awareness, marketing, social media management? It's, it's an extension of their opportunity to earn money but in a sense, that could also be taxable. You know, how does that affect a student athlete? How does it affect their ability to get a Pell Grant? There's a lot of IRS-related tentacles here that I'm not sure anyone has fully examined every piece of this. And, and maybe we won't until, uh, you know, we can just have the time to sit down at the table and analyze it all. Well, it's certainly going to be interesting because we've, we've talked about this in bits and pieces, and you're right. It's been pushed, uh, can's been kicked down the curb, if you will, because of the virus. Um, but I still think there are some um, uh, potential unintended consequences that are significant. And uh, if and when they get to this, I hope uh, they will spend a lot of time thinking it through. And I think uh, the way to wrap this up is simply that I, nothing will happen. Uh, unless and until Congress passes something, and I know uh, Senator uh, Rubio is is working on something, but um, you know that's the first thing that has to happen. Otherwise, it's going to be the wild, wild west come July one of next year because Florida's already got a law in place. Right. Bottom line, you've got to have uniform legislation across all fifty states. You can't have recruiting advantages or you know anything of the sort. Florida had set the clock. It's, it's July 1 of 2021, and now the NCAA, Congress, everybody's got to work together to come up with something. And look, we're not going to like what they come up with, but it's going to be uniform, and we got to have it. Well, based on the way we can all uniformly agree on whether we should wear a mask, I feel really optimistic, Bob. <laughs> all right, Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Have a good one. Take care, guys. Uh, Keith, sorry, I had to take that shot. He put it on a tee for me there in light of current times. We'll take a break, come back, and wrap up right after this. Yeah, running down a dream that never would come to me. Working on a mystery. Going wherever it leads. Running down a dream. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Final segment of Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. A lot to react to. Good show. Phil Steele, the encyclopedia, Bob Ferrante. There's, you know, maybe we should take every other week, every other week off, Keith. We had a lot to react to in a two-week span when there's nothing going on. <laughs> I do want to uh, once again say thanks to uh, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They have uh, been with us uh, through thick and thin here, uh, not just us, but 97.9. And uh, there's been a lot of thin lately given the, the state of affairs in our world. But uh, we're making do, and, and they'll help you make do as well. So appreciate Ron and his staff there at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Keith, I don't want to go deeper into NIL because, it, again, it's just back page news right now, even though it's really important. The front page story continues to be when, how, what's it going to look like. I'm optimistic that they will, they, ACC, SEC, will work together and come up with a, we're going to play conference games, but we're going to find a way to preserve those rivalry games somehow. Now, whether or not the pandemic and the virus 
allows us to ultimately play those games. We'll see. But that's that's where I'm optimistic we'll land in two weeks or so when they make this announcement. Well, the date, the date on the horizon, uh, we'll do a show. Uh, today's the 15th, so we'll do a show on the 29th. And probably Friday the 31st, because a lot of these things get announced on Fridays, Certainly by Friday the 31st, two weeks and two days from now, I think we'll have a much clearer picture, right, wrong, or indifferent, of what it might look like. Other things are going to complicate it, though. I I listened to a a story this morning where the city of Philadelphia, the city is past a thing where they're not going to allow large groups through February of 2021. So that means the Eagles and the Phillies will be playing in empty stadiums if they play. Will there be a similar type of thing in a ACC, SEC, or other type of locale? Um, What happens has happened with the MLS last week, where one of the players tested positive, so they had to suspend the game or forfeit the game, but then the player tested negative the next morning, so they rescheduled and played it the next day. Well, you, you probably can't do that for logistical reasons in football. But what happens if your quarterback, your tailback, and your wide receiver test positive and can't participate in game number seven? Those are the, the minutia that will start getting ferreted out once the decision is made. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's the framework in which it will work or at least be attempted to work. Yeah, it's – we're all on pins and needles waiting to see how it shakes out, obviously. And uh, it, it's going to have repercussions one way or the other. It certainly is a year unlike any of us could have expected when this started. Uh, Phil Steele, I give him credit for plowing through. He talked to all those coaches and uh, had good things to say about Mike Norvell. If you're just joining us, listen back uh, to earlier in the show, about 15 minutes in or so is when Phil Steele joined us to talk about Florida State. I think that that is the thing, Keith. The, the OL is the million-dollar question, but there are some good parts and pieces on this Florida State team that we'd all like to see play out. I mean, I think the defense could be pretty doggone good. Now, it's hard to know. They didn't have a spring practice. We don't know how the coaches truly work together because they've been on Zoom, too, a lot of this. So, But the thought of, of talking about something on the field does excite me. <laughs> Very much so. And, and uh, you know, the cliches term, the, the cupboard's not bare at Florida State. Um, uh, with with maybe the exception of the concern on the offensive line. There's some playmakers on the offensive side, and there's some, some good kids on the defensive side. You know, I, I think everybody is just ready to get on with it. And, um, you know, whether it's a 25% occupancy, 50% occupancy, however that works out, or none, and we have to all watch it on television, you know, it's the age-old thing, Tommy. Sports has always been a diversion, you know, for that – Hour, two hours, three hours, however long the match, the game uh, was being played. You could forget about what's going on in the world and you could pay attention uh, while you're sitting in the stands or or looking at television. And for the last three and a half, four months, we've had no diversions of significance. And I think everybody's just ready to get on with it. And then we'll just have to deal with the other issues about whether you do or don't wear a mask and what happens when you take your mask off to yell go quarterback or coach Norvell sucks or anything in between. And then you have to put your mask back on and somebody gets mad about blah, 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 blah. I'll be glad to deal with those issues once we get sports, at least moving forward. 
as long as we don't have ACC officials going to the replay monitor to determine if somebody was wearing a mask at a certain point. Can we agree on that? <laughs> They're not looking uh, yes. at the sideline. <laughs> we can agree on we, that. We got to go with best effort and best intent here. You know, we're all going to try to do this. <laughs> sideline infraction, Florida State, two trainers had their mask down. 15 yeah. yard penalty, first and 25. Yep. See, you knew exactly where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> folks we'll do this again next week and we'll just see where we are when we get there he's keith i'm tom thanks for joining us on front row knowles we don't need no education we don't need no thoughts control